Well, that's exactly what we celebrate when we celebrate baptism, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we too, our life begins. Now, some of you are wondering, I saw that pastor's shirt sleeve get wet. Here's a little, yeah, you're right, it did. Here's a little secret, it always gets wet, even when we were baptizing in the waiters uh, in our old sanctuary. I would always have this left sleeve, so every time we baptism, I've got like the left sleeve wet under my suit jacket, so every, every time. So it's always just kind of a little refreshing left sleeve here. But uh, that was a wonderful picture, again, of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the change in one's life. So today we're in the midst of a sermon series. We're returning to it. We kind of took a little pause last week as we did the Chisholm Trail Cowboy Church service. We took a little pause from our sermon series this month that we said it was really perfect for the multi-generational month because it's something that we all deal with. How? What do we do when we deal with heat in our life? And we've talked about that. It's kind of encapsulated. Today we're talking about heat and thorns, uh, encapsulated by the idea of trials in life. You know, God never promised the Christian that we would have trouble-free life. And in fact, many of those things he allows to happen, many of those things he brings into our life, that we too, as we'll see this dynamic today in James chapter 1, that these things might help bring us to maturity, to maturity. But we all feel the heat of life, don't we? Sometimes this first picture really captures perfectly uh, our life. Look at this. Who do I speak to about quitting adulthood, right? And some of us felt that way. Who do I speak to about quitting adulthood, right? And even those of us that are in this room, I know we have some of our youth in the room with us as well. Some are helping in Kids View today. But even they're not in adulthood, but even you youth can feel that way at times. You can feel like, man, there's just some real difficulty. We're really feeling the heat of life. And so I'm going to put up a next picture here. This is our diagram that we talked about, a wonderful study um, from a a guy named Paul Tripp and David Lane, which is really the inspiration for this entire sermon series this month. Uh, And they talk about how do people change? And that's the title of this whole sermon series, How Do I Change? You see, all of us experience heat in life. You see the little tagline there. If you can't read it all the way in the back, it says, what is your situation? So all of us, Christian or non-Christian, we still have heat in life. So those of us in this room that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, again, it doesn't mean as though we're kind of floating along with, in some sort of holy bubble in which we never feel heat and pressure of life. No, that's not it at all. It's there. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, we daily have an opportunity for that heat to either be an opportunity to grow or an opportunity, a negative opportunity, to bear thorns, bear thorns. And so we're talking about today... And we're touching on it. Next week, we're going to get uh, more so of to the cross and to fruit. But we're going to be talking about heat and thorns today and, of course, the roots. You see there, ultimately, when the heat in our situation comes, what's in our heart? And yes, even as a person who's been changed, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if we're allowing the old nature, the old sin nature to stay on the throne of our life daily... We're not daily turning over responsibility of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not saying daily, again, that's the key word, that I'm going to give control over to you and I'm going to do what's in your word, even if it's difficult, then we can display a sort of bad root of our heart. Even if our heart's ultimately been changed, we can live in that old sin nature. Or we can, just in the same way we came to faith, you see under there, under the good root, Seek God in repentance and faith. That's how we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But every day we're to live as we sow. We're to walk as we sow came to Christ. 
So each day, if we sin, we're to seek repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess our sin, and to trust him by faith. Remember, we talked about a great working definition of faith. I I borrowed from the Navigators and Campus Crusade for Christ. I love it. It's that uh, faith is living and believing and living. So putting putting actions to your faith, believing and living as though the Bible is true, even if I don't feel like it's true, right? So we hear a lot of other influences in our world, whether it be the world, our, our heart, our friends around us that say, well, yeah, if there's heat in your life, if that boss is treating you mean, then you need to get, walk in there and you need to tell him what for or apply it any other, any other uh, circumstance in your life that might be your heat. The world will tell us a certain thing. Culture will tell us a certain thing. Even our old sin nature will tell us a certain thing. But are we going to walk in faith We know what God's word says. Are we going to do it God's way and trust him for the results? That's walking by faith. But here's the thing. When we look at the heat and we look at thorns or fruit, listen to this. We're going to put it on the screen. Write it down. All trials represent an opportunity for personal growth or temptation and sin. So all heat in life provides an opportunity for personal growth or temptation and sin. Here's the thing, it can become very humbling for us to admit that the root is our heart, right? Two weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 17, and in one of the key verses, the one that most of us know from that, is, is God says that the heart of man is wicked and evil above all things. That's pretty, that's a pretty much a, a punch to the gut right there, isn't it? Especially in our world in which we live that says basically people are, all people are basically good, it's just a matter of circumstances that have led them down the wrong path or a matter of the culture that they've been in. Although we seem to forget that culture isn't just, uh, doesn't just appear from thin air, culture is set by, again, people, right? And so we see time and time again, and it's the same in this case as well, that the word of God, because it is God, it's God's word written by the eternal, all-sovereign, uh, almighty uh, hand of God, that his word is right. That no, people aren't basically good, The people are basically evil because we've all been infected by sin and we participate in sin. Now, here's the wonderful thing. We say if we just stop right there again, well, gosh, it just seems like, man, that's a difficult pill to swallow and God's just up there trying to hit us with lightning bolts. No, we can't ever have healing and change in our life until we admit the reality of a situation. And God tells us the reality of your situation is that your heart is dark because of sin and you can't change it yourself. But he says, guess what? I love you so much, and I, to, to glorify myself, and to, 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 because I love you, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross for your sin, to change your life, to change your life. But it's a humbling thing for us to admit that, yes, within us, even if we've given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and ultimately our new nature is righteousness, it's hard for us to admit that You know, when we sin against others in our life, whether it be our spouse or our kids, or maybe we're real prickly with, we're very thorny and very prickly with people at work, whatever it may be, it's difficult for us to admit, it's humbling for us to admit that, oh, I can't blame that on my heat. It's ultimately my heart, right? Because trial, the heat of life is an opportunity either for personal growth or temptation and sin. So here's the thing again, kind of companion to that last statement, write this one down as well. The harvest... The harvest that the trial produces, the harvest that the trial produces is the result of the root known as our heart, right? So the heat, if you will, the sun, if we think about it in botanical terms, if you will, or or botanical terms, uh, the heat will cause a fruit to grow on a fruit tree, 
but it will also cause uh, thorns to sprout on some sort of a thorn bush. The heat is impassive. The heat is neutral. It's simply causing something to come out that is in its very root, which is the heart. And so again, the harvest that the trial produces is the result of the root known as our heart. So this is, if you will, the root of what we're studying throughout the course of this study this month. And we're talking about, again, how do I change? We're going to continue moving that direction throughout the course of this month. So the first thing that we see here in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, is an opportunity, an opportunity in the heat. So James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. So he's writing to people just like us. He's writing to uh, Hebrew people, these tribes that are scattered abroad as he's preaching to his brethren, preaching Jesus Christ to them and to the Christians within them and to the local Christians as well. He says, greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, many of us that have grown up in church for quite some time, we know these verses very well, but every time if we're honest with ourselves when we read it, we know there's, there's encouragement in that, but there's also, man, that's tough. That's tough. But God never calls us to do anything that we cannot do, not our own, but with his power. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Meaning God isn't saying, are you here again for this wisdom? Haven't you figured it out by now? No, he gives to all liberally, abundantly, and without reproach. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, because of what Jesus did in our life, we can come boldly before his throne, boldly before his throne. And he says, and it will be given to you. It will be. Not my, it, 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 he doesn't say it may be given to you. It will be given to you. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For if he doubts, he is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, a hypocritical man. He's saying, he's kind of riding the fence back and forth between saying, okay, I'm going to trust God, but I want to hold on to this. I I, I don't know if I trust God. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to do it my way. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So again, the first thing is we're going to look at the opportunity and the heat. Their very first verse, verse two of this section rather, count it all joy. Count means to decide. Decide that it's going to be joy to you. Guess what? Feelings follow action sometimes, do they not? Sometimes we have to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you that you say this trial is an opportunity for my growth, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to count it joy, and guess what? The feelings follow. In what? Various trials. Various trials. Various means they're going to come in various ways, and they are just part of life. Do you realize the reality of the world that we live in? We see very clearly in Genesis 1 through 3, echoed in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8, is that, yes, the world in which God created was good, but it was infected by this disease known as sin. And we all participate there. And he says, even the world waits and groans, Romans chapter 1 and 8, even the whole world waits and groans for the redemption of mankind, even the world around us. Even the natural world has been infected by some way. And so nothing in our world, nothing functions the way it was originally intended. So trials are just going to be a part of life, even for the believer. And in the midst of that, God calls us. Yes, he calls us and tells us that the abundant life is yours in Christ. But even in the midst of that, we have to realize there's sometimes going to be discontent. 
We are all, in some ways, if you heard the term, riding the struggle bus. Look at this per- picture here. I love this picture. I'd love to stay and chat, but it looks like my bus is here. You, I've, some of you have never heard the term struggle bus, right? What it simply means is if you just realize like you're having a really rough day, you remember the very first picture I showed where somebody, like, who do I talk to about quitting adulthood? You feel like those days where it's just everything is a struggle. Well, that term, you've learned a new slang term, if you will. It's called riding the struggle bus, if you're just having a rough, rough day. And I love this picture. Is either somebody did the greatest Photoshop job, but I think it's, I think it's real because all of the graininess kind of matches, where this bus driver, you know, you put up the destination. He looked like he got a little cheeky there and put struggle on his bus that he was driving. I love that. I just thought that was a wonderful picture. But all of us know that some of life is like riding the struggle bus. A trial, listen to this, write this down. A trial is an external situation, so it means it's something happening around us. It could be interaction with somebody at work. It could be just a a, a physical difficulty that happens. Whatever it may be, a a trial is an external situation that reveals what's happening in the heart, that reveals what's happening in the heart. So we know it's part of life, and it is, again, it's an opportunity for either growth or it's an opportunity for temptation and sin. He says, count it all joy when you face various trials. So yes, it is tough. It's a trial. But he says, guess what? Count it joy because it is an opportunity for the testing of your faith. The testing of your faith. It is trying the quality of it. It is testing the quality. You know whenever you purchased anything that was cheap, right? It quits. It gives up. It breaks very quickly. We've got this little thing at this Five Below. Have you ever seen a little store called Five Below? It's out on the west side of town. I don't know if they have one on the east side of town, where it's just all these little knickknacks that you can buy everything below five and, and below. You know, it's kind of like a dollar store, but the price at five. My son found this, uh, this little fan that you can plug into your phone. You know, the little power port. Most of us have a little power port on our, fan, or our phone. Well, it's this little uh, fan, little bitty fan. The blade's probably about that, that much in diameter. And you plug it into the bottom of it and, it, and it turns on. So you can hold your phone and kind of, you know, cool yourself down. Well, that thing, that thing broke within about an hour, right? It broke within about an hour. And we knew it was probably going to happen. But that, when it's tested and tried, it does not stand the test of faith. But it, is, it, it does not stand that strength. But he says the testing of your faith produces produces patience or perseverance. It produces. Do you realize how the muscles grow? You know how, if, you're, if you're lifting weights, you realize how your muscles grow and you get stronger? It breaks down the muscle tissues, and there's this actual process that happens in which it's fusing these little bitty things, and some of the, some of the medical folks out there are probably going to correct me a little bit, but it fuses these little myofibrils, it says. That's, it uses those to connect the damaged muscle tissue, and it creates more, and that's how your muscles grow over time. And so in the same way, we grow in maturity, we grow in strength through the testing of our faith, through these trials. And when it does so, it produces patience or endurance or perseverance. Some of you have seen a picture like this before as well. You know what this is? This is Navy SEAL training. This is Navy SEAL training known as BUDS. And it's, uh, I forget what, it's, what it stands for. Some of you might remember. But it's their basic training that they do. Basic underwater demolition school. I think that's what it stands for. But they put them through some incredible trials. Not only is it strengthening them, but it's also a show, it's testing them, but it's also producing that endurance and that perseverance right off the bat that they need for the incredibly trying missions that they'll face. But he says also in verse four, so let patience have its perfect work 
Let patience have its perfect work. That perfect work is being grown into spiritual maturity, being developed into spiritual maturity. See, and the way that it does that is when these trials come in life, we have either an opportunity to go to our old way of life, and we either have an opportunity to bear thorns and to be thorny and just to fall into old uh, patterns of sin in our old way of life, or it's an opportunity to be driven into deeper communion with Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? If we're driven into deeper communion with Jesus Christ, we cannot help but the character of Jesus Christ to rub off on us, right? If we spend any amount of time, any significant amount of time with anybody, we're going to start in some way to act like them. They're just going to rub off on us. And so if we're driven into deeper communion with Jesus, we cannot help but for the Son of God to rub off on us, of course, as we have the Holy Spirit within our lives as well as believers in Jesus. So let patience have its perfect work that we may be complete, lacking nothing, all the portions whole, so we have all that we need to face the trials in life. So again, the first thing we see is the opportunity and the heat. The second thing that we see in verses 5 through 8 is wisdom, wisdom in the midst of this heat that's in our lives. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, let him ask of God. Wisdom is this practical skill of living out the truth of God. Biblically, wisdom isn't this idea that we might see in a movie of, of kind of going up to a mountain and visiting a wise shaman that only one person in this great mystical country can have and we all have to go to him. No, because we are believers in Jesus Christ and we have the word of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and we know it is truth of the almighty God that all of us have access to the truth of God, to his absolutes and wisdom is living it out. Wisdom again is living it out very akin to faith. It's saying, I know what God says. God, I know what you tell me to do, and it's a difficult decision. I'm going to be swimming upstream, but I'm going to trust that it's right, and I'm going to be blessed through it. And guess what? It happens just as, you, as God says, just as God says. If any of you ask wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. I want you to write this down. We put this up many times before. It's a great little statement to remember. Inadequacy leads to dependency. When we realize that we're truly inadequate to, to navigate life as we should, yeah, we might have some successes along the way, just enough uh, to make us think we've got this whole thing figured out. We just got enough to make this, get this whole thing figured out. If we don't realize that, that we are dependent upon God and we don't realize our own inadequacy, then we will never grow as we should. And we will never experience the peace and joy and satisfaction in life the way that we should. We will get enough just a, enough few bites of something that seems like we've got life figured out to kind of keep us from truly experiencing, as Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the abundant life. But inadequacy lives, uh, leads to dependency. So if any who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives what? To all liberally. He doesn't hold back his, his blessings. None of his blessings that you see in the whole of Scripture does God ever give them halfway. He gives them all in abundance. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, but let him ask in faith. Let him ask of faith without doubting because that one is like a wind of the sea. It's like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind. Let him ask in faith, again, trusting with no doubting. Doubting isn't just some sort of uh, you know, kind of uh, neutral thing in which you're just kind of sitting on the fence and you're just kind of generally indecisive. Doubting, when we look at, when we doubt God, it is moral, it is inner moral conflict. That's what it is. It's a deep root. It is the old nature. It is your old heart saying, 
I don't know if I want to trust God. Even though there's tons of evidence to the contrary, we just have to look at the struggles in our life and say, gosh, yeah, I'm probably not doing so well with my own life when I'm trying to do it my way. We got tons of evidence to the contrary, but yet our heart still doesn't want to say, oh, gosh, I don't know if I want to do it God's way or not. I don't know if I want to do it God's way or not. Yeah, okay, I fell time and time again. And yes, for every little victory that I might have, I think I've got this right. There's, man, there's just a lot of struggle. I'm really riding that struggle bus. But I don't know if I want to trust God. But he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting because that one is like a wave. They are, that is a man that is unpredictable and irritable. And guess what? It's an unpredictable and irritable person facing an unpredictable and irritable situation in life. Not a good combination. But he says in verse 7, let that person uh, not, uh, not believe that he will receive anything from the Lord. You will miss God's blessings. And he says also that that person is like a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. It is exhausting, isn't it, to try to live with one foot in the world and doing one foot God's way? I don't truly believe we can do that forever. I, don't, I truly believe if we try to live our whole life doing, doing it God's way a little bit and then doing it the world's way, I think we have to really question truly, have we ever been born again? Because that's not the, the arc of growth that we see in Scripture. But there are times where we can, we can have phases and periods or days in our life where we can try to live uh, one foot in the world, one foot God's way. But that is absolutely exhausting to try to do it, to try to ride that fence, and it's unfruitful. It says that one is double-minded, and he's unstable in all of his ways. It's always easy for us to trust in the Lord when things are going well, right? Always. But the very heart of what we're seeing here is that trials are going to come, and how we react to them gives us an opportunity. We can always trust when it's easy, but what happens? What do we trust in when the going gets tough? What do we trust in when we really feel like we're right in the middle of that heat? Do we trust in the bottle? Do some of you kind of talk yourselves in, you know, just trusting the bottle, taking the edge off things? What about food? What about food? I'm really good at doing that, you know? Yeah, we even talk about, Ali laughs because we, we talk about, well, kind of halfway joke, oh, we're going to go to a quick trip and get a little something. Well, there's emotional eating, right? You know, we'll joke about that. But uh, there's some, some truth in that. What about media? What about media, whatever form it is? It's really easy for us to just bury ourselves in the TV or the phone, whatever it may be, and not face uh, the heat in our life and not face it in the way that we should by going to God in his word and on our knees in prayer. What about the approval of others? Maybe that's kind of the long game, if you will. You just, you just find your, and you trust in. What do you find your hope and your trust in? What are you wanting for? What is your idol? Is it the approval of others? If only I can have the approval of others in whatever form it may come, in whatever situation, whether it's at home, whether it's at the place of work, and if you're not getting it, man, you are in the midst of great difficulty. You're down in the dumps. You're bearing thorns. So again, number one, opportunity in the heat. Number two, wisdom in the heat. And number three, endurance in the heat. We're going to skip over to verse 12. Verse 12 of chapter 1, and it says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, in which the Lord promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But when each one is tempted, he is drawn away by what? Not the circumstances, He says you're drawn away by the heat, right? No. He says when each one is tempted, he is drawn away by his own desires, that heart, 
that root by his own desires. And when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Brings forth death. That sort of physical death, not eternal death that it speaks of. We know by the whole of Scripture that one, when they give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are secure in him. But there is consequences of our own sin that can happen. But endurance in the heat. Back up in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who endures temptation. Guess what? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that no temptation has overtaken us, which is not common to man. And when the temptation comes, God provides a way of escape that we may stand underneath it. So yes, God allows trials and even temptations to come your way. We see that in the book of Job. But God gives you the strength that you need and the way of escape. And when that happens, it says, blessed, truly happy is the one who endures temptation. So not blessed, not truly happy is the one who escapes all temptation and all trial, but the one who stands underneath it, the one who endures it. Blessed is the one who endured temptation for when he has been approved. When he has been approved, it again shows that genuineness of one's faith. To reference again, Job, we see that he faced incredible heat and trial uh, uh, unlike most of us will ever, ever face. But yet, he spoke very openly and freely and candidly to the Lord. He said, Lord, why is this happening? To paraphrase in many places, but in the midst of it all, in the midst of all, he hung true to God. In the midst of it all, he would probably say, just like we talked about a moment ago, it forced that deeper communion with God. And that one, he will receive the crown of life. You remember from some of your history classes, those wreaths that they would wear in the ancient Olympic games. In fact, when the 2004 Olympics were in Greece, they were giving those out again. I thought that was really neat, you know, along with the medals. That was the wreath of victory. That was the wreath of victory. And, and uh, James uses here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses that as a picture for, 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 for the great prize that we will receive, ultimately glorification in the eternal life spent in the unfiltered presence of Jesus Christ. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus. Yes, it'll be wonderful to see streets of gold and, and, and rivers flowing with milk and honey, but heaven will be heaven because we will be in the unfiltered presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says this, let no one say, I'm tempted by God. Let no one say that. You know, the, the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8 could have very easily said that God's making this happen. We're tempted by him. Our grumbling's happening because of them. But we see throughout the course of that narrative, as they were really riding the struggle bus, or like the struggle chariot, I guess it would have been, in, in the desert, you know, they couldn't blame their situation, their grumbling on God. He used it as an opportunity to teach them to humble them, and to discipline them. You know, there were going to be many obstacles in the promised land. They were going to really have to trust him as he cleared out all the pagan nations before them. And there's going to be some great trials. And so he was preparing them for the obstacles in the promised land. He was also showing them the propensity of their hearts to drift away from him when the, when the, when the going got tough. And he was also demonstrating his power unto them. So let no one say, God is making this happen in my life. God allows those things to happen. And in fact, there are some times where God does bring trials specifically into your life, but God does not make you sin. God does not make us bear thorns. Nor does it say, does he himself tempt anyone? He allows, but again, as we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he allows those things, but he allows what we can handle. But he says, it's not because of God. We're not sinning. We're not bearing thorns because of God. But it's when we're drawn away and enticed 
by our heart. Drawn away is speaking of a trap. Trap, trapping an animal, very closely related to it, is enticing, enticing. Here's Mason's show-and-tell fishing lure time again. Some of you remember that. So this is another fishing lure. If you've joined us a couple of weeks ago, I showed one of my favorite fishing lures, which was called a Zoom Fluke in a bluegill flash. If you ever fish, it's a great lure. This is another one of my favorites that I, I love to fish topwater. So you, this is a frog. It floats, and you just kind of pop it along the top of the water. And if the, the fish are biting and hitting topwater then they will come up and they will just explode on this in the top of the water. It's really fun if the fish are hitting top water because you see them come out of the water and hit it. It's really cool. I was over at, uh, I was just uh, bank walking over at um, uh, Sedgwick County Park a few months ago. And there was one where I actually got it stuck in a little bit of a fallen log down on the ground and it, and it was hanging. It was, so the, the log was about this high and my, wa- my line was caught over it and it was hanging about that high off the water. And I'm not lying. This sounds like a fishing story. And of course, I didn't get the fish. It is a fishing story. It sounds like a fishing lie, I guess. And it's not. But it was hanging about that high over the water. And that fish came out of the water and hit it. And hit it. And I didn't get the fish. One of the things, the way the hooks are placed, it's kind of hard to set the hook a little bit. Yeah, some of you fishermen saying, good excuse. Good excuse. But this is another one of our series in Mason's Fishing Lure Story and illustrate the fact that that's exactly what it's talking about. When we are drawn away and enticed by our heart, just like the fish are enticed by that lure, we too can be enticed by what the world has to offer. And we're drawn away enticed by his own evil desires. Again, we get back to the root, which is the heart. We can't blame our thorns on other people. You know, just like Genesis chapter 3, what did Adam say? He wanted to blame it on the woman really quick, right? He wanted to blame it on her, but ultimately he had a decision to make himself. We can't blame it on others. We can't blame it on our family origin. We had a bad day, or maybe we have physical issues. My body made me do it. We can't blame it on any of those things. And I'll write this down. This is really, really important. We're going to put it on the screen. There is a huge difference between an occasion for sin and the ultimate cause of sin. There is a huge difference between an occasion for sin and the cause of sin. Yes, no one is going to deny that heat in our life is difficult. No one is going to deny that ongoing heat in our life is really difficult. Some of you echo those situations. You have a rough family life. You had a rough family life. Maybe you see a rough family life developing. Maybe there is a job that is just terrible and a boss that is terrible, whatever it may be. But God says that those trials that come along never make us sin. But they're an opportunity either for us to be prickly and to bear thorns are to be driven to deeper communion with Jesus Christ. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. Verse 15, he says, but when uh, that sin is conceived, it gives birth and it becomes full grown. You see, it never just kind of happens spontaneously. We never just kind of fall into sin. It's one decision to not do it God's way and to be thorny in this particular way as opposed to being driven deeper and deeper into communion with Jesus Christ in some of these small things and then the stakes are raised. It happens, it happens not spontaneously, but gradual. Nor can we say the devil made me do it. We can't ever say the devil made me do it. The devil tempts us, but the devil is simply pushing buttons. He's exploiting weaknesses, exploiting weaknesses. Now, I got to take this opportunity again to put up picture, put, picture my favorite uh, football team here, Cowboys. Yep, Valerie back there. Now, this guy right here, I know you guys are like, man, with this Cowboy stuff. Um, this guy right here, his name is Jalen Smith. He's a second-year player for the Cowboys. 
He would have been outside of a horrific knee injury. He's from Notre Dame. He would have probably been a top five draft pick a couple of years ago. But the Cowboys picked him up at a bargain basement price of a second round pick instead, hoping that his knee would rehab. Now, he's been forced into a lot more action over the last four or five weeks because they've been so thin in their linebacking core. But defensive coordinators know he's still not at full health, and they've been picking on him real bad because that's what they do. Their ultimate job is to win, and if there's a weak link out there, they don't care about how great his comeback story is. He's a weak link that right now can't cover receivers and backs out of the backfield like he should, so they're running stuff at him all the time. Now, here's the what do I mean by this? What's my point in all this? We can't ultimately say that the problem's with the devil. The devil exploits our weaknesses. We can't blame it on him. It's our own heart, and the devil exploits our weaknesses and brings temptation to us. But when it's conceived, it's full-grown, and it brings forth death. Brings forth death. We're snared. We ultimately are snared. Ultimate consequences, we're ultimately snared by our own sin. When it conceived, it brings forth sin, and it's full-grown. It brings forth death. Here's the thing, and whatever it may be, whether it be consequences that are leading to physical death or it's just the consequences that we face in life, write this down. Our sinful responses become a briar patch in which we entangle ourselves. Talking again about that thorniness, that thorniness ultimately in our life. We think that, you know, we think we live in a bubble and ultimately we can all think that the world revolves around us and so if there's heat in our life, I'm just gonna be thorny, I'm just gonna be the way I am and this, everybody else has to adjust. We don't say that to ourselves, but that's essentially the way we're acting, don't we? When we're thorny and everyone else has taken the brunt of it, we're saying, you know what? My heat's more important than your heat. I'm gonna act however I want to, and you've gotta adjust. We don't say that specifically, but that's how we act. But ultimately what happens is it becomes a briar patch in which we entangle ourselves. So very quickly as we end here, what do I do? What do I do? We're gonna get into more practical of how do I change as we continue in the next couple of weeks. But here's, here's some thornbush responses. One of the thornbush responses is that we can deny when there's heat, we can deny, we can avoid, we can try to escape it, or we can magnify it, expand, and make everything a catastrophe. We can also just become prickly and hypersensitive, right? And so again, everyone has taken the brunt of our bad day. Or we can get bogged down and paralyzed. We just want nothing to do but just to kind of just feel numb. So I'm going to numb myself in front of the TV. I'm going to numb myself in front of media, whatever it may be. Those are thornbush responses. When trials come, that's not how we're called to deal with it. But what do we do? The fruit tree. The fruit tree. We face reality. We face reality. It doesn't mean that we're, we, we're all about self-pity, but it also means we're not stoic. We face reality. We see that in the book of Job. We see that in Psalms 88. We'll probably come back to that at another point. But Psalms 88 is a, is a psalm of lament. And the incredible thing about it is there's never any sort of assurance that things are going to get better. We know that it is. But what it tells us is that God's shoulders are big enough in a reverent way to handle our, our hurt and our pain, just as Job did. He still did it in a reverent way. So not self-pity, but we're also not stoic. We face the reality. Speak to God. Be alert. Be alert, meaning be awake. Realize what God's doing in your life. This wakes us up from complacency. God is using this as an opportunity to wake us up from just our place of complacency and just kind of struggling through with numbness in life. Face reality. Be alert. Remember. Remember the simplicity of God's comfort and his call. Remember that. 
Whenever the Bible says remember, it is this sort of proactive dwelling upon and meditating upon it, saying God is a good God. And yes, this is a trial. Yes, this is a struggle. But I remember the simplicity and the wonder of God's comfort and call. And so what do we do, number four? We seek God, seek the church, seek his word. We don't seek again to bury ourselves in TV, Netflix, food, whatever it may be. We don't seek to bury ourselves. We don't, we don't seek to, 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 to bury ourselves and numb ourselves with whatever it may be. We seek God. We can be driven into deeper communion with Jesus Christ. We seek the church. We seek the church. This is what our church family is to be here for. Yes, we're not going to know everybody intimately in a church of this size. Yes, not everyone's going to be a 2 a.m. friend here, but we should have a 2 a.m. friend, meaning someone we can call and we can wake up and we can say, I've got a real struggle, and they know that they can do the same for you, church family, and to seek the word, to seek the word. Once again, as we close, heat will come in all of our lives, but all trials, all trials, is an opportunity for growth, deeper communion with Jesus Christ, or it's an opportunity for temptation and sin. What are you going to choose? It's not easy. It's not easy, but guess what? You have the power of God at your fingertips. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray now as uh, we, we are gathered together, we, no doubt in this room, there are people that are facing some great heat and great trials. And Lord, I pray that they would have that strength to, uh, to be driven into deeper communion with you, that they'd have the courage to come and speak to a brother and sister in Christ as part of this church. Lord, and that brother and sister, or whoever it may be, that they would give them great counsel from your word and that they, in the same uh, way that they came to faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, they might walk in him as well, Com- confessing and repenting where they, where they need to and trusting him by faith in each and every day of their life. In Christ's name we do pray.